This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me this week, a pair of superheroes who have no choice but to set aside their differences to save the universe and also their friendship. Kara Shamborski. I feel like that's a direct comment on our feelings about Grant Morrison, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and Paul Jaisley. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Kara, I'm, I'm glad we can put those differences aside to uh, talk about dumb comics today. <laughs> Before we start the show today, I do want to say uh, rest in peace to Mr. Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman, the forever voice of Batman. Uh, terrible loss in the community. Kara Paul, I know both of you have very strong Batman feelings. Anything you want to say, I guess, before we get into things? Um, I'm in deep mourning and cannot be reached for comment at this time. No, it's just like when something is so much a part of your entire youth and well into adulthood and every time you think this is a bad interpretation of batman knowing that you can go back to the good interpretation of batman mm -hmm. at any time and then mm -hmm. to find out that the person behind that interpretation is no longer on earth it's just it's just I, i'm gonna stop right here or else i'm gonna cry but uh yeah that was like Kevin Conroy's performance as Batman for 30 years was completely spectacular. And I think that now that he's gone, most of us will realize like how how just incredible his performance really was. And hopefully he'll yeah. get some accolades outside of the nerd community and among non-nerds to be like, that was a really great performance. He did really spectacular work. And it was not just a children's show. It was for all of us. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I don't really know what to say. The other people haven't already said better or more uh, eloquently, yeah. but, you know, for me, that show is a huge part of my uh, making me love Batman. I mean, that was when I was like eight or nine, 10 years old, that show came out. And to this day, that is the voice I hear in my head when I read Batman comics. And I think that's the biggest tribute. He defined that character for multiple generations. And yeah, it's uh, Absolutely. sad that he's gone, but he has a tremendous legacy that he left behind. Yeah. We, we do have, like Kara said, 30 years of Batman that we can always go back to, which is which is a great thing still. So, yeah, I, I figured we had to bring it up. Somebody mentioned in the notes and I, you know, figured, yes, time to time to talk about it. But I do have one other quick thing before we get into the show. We have a hangout coming up on November 19th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard. If you want to be there, you should come and hang out and talk about comics. It's going to be a great time. It's always a great time, like three, four, five hours worth of great time. It's insane. Get there before Nick starts to talk about F1, and I promise we will talk about <laughs> comics for multiple hours. Uh, everyone who's been to a Hangout knows that at some point, he's going to take the conversation, and it's going to be F1. We love you, Nick. Just kidding. Uh, not really, but we love you nonetheless. Anyways, let's get into things. Let's talk about comic books, because I have two legally mandated questions that I have to ask. That is, how have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Paul. I've been doing well, Mike. Um, I have to admit, I am... Uh, woefully behind on my monthly comics. I, I was a few weeks there where I couldn't go to the shop. So when I did go, I had a giant stack of comics. I'm slowly waking my, making my way through a couple weeks worth of uh, single issues. Luckily, though, this is a silver lining. Um, the weather here in West Michigan is getting more seasonable, which means uh, mid 30s and snowing soon. So that gives me more time to stay inside and read comics. So I'll catch up eventually. <laughs> Um, it's a wonderful spin, Paul. Yes, <laughs> Thank you. I like that. It's gonna it's gonna be miserable, but that means more comic books. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. I try to look on the bright side of life, you know, to quote Monty Python. Um, but there are a couple <laughs> books I read over the past few weeks. I wanted to make time to talk about here on the show. Uh, one of which is 
Ducks, Two Years in the Oil Sands. It's by Kate Beaton. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I think last time I was on the show was a top of my pile pick. And if I got a chance to sit down and read it, it is a big book. This is over 400 pages. Um, and as I talked about when I brought it up on that episode, it is a, a memoir that Kate Beaton wrote about the time that she spent working in the Alberta oil sands in Canada. Uh, and uh, unlike her other work, I'm sure most people know Kate Beaton be, due to her books, uh, Hark a Vagrant, uh, King Baby is another one she did. Those books are very humorous. She has sort of a loose cartooning style, a lot of uh, literary and historical references. This book is very personal, very different. It's, it's a memoir. Um, and what's interesting is the way her artwork, which is so seemingly simplistic, translate to a more personal story. Like the way she's able to present the information in her experiences in this book in a way that never feels um, exaggerated. Like it's very true to life in a way that I think mm-hmm. you can only do in this type of artwork and this type of comic. Uh, she talks about going to work in these oil sands because it's a good way to make a lot of money despite the economic and ecological devastation that that oil process, oil mining process uh, uh, leads to. Um, mm-hmm. But she doesn't make any judgments about that. The book is more about her experiences day to day working there. She's one of the very few women working at these places, surrounded by men, isolated from the rest of society, basically, long way from her home uh, on the eastern coast of Canada. So that becomes part of the book. Um, it's, it's, again, doesn't try to make any grand statements, right or wrong about this, this stuff, but just present her, her own experiences. I will say there are a couple instances where she discusses sexual assault. So there's a content warning. As much as I want to recommend this book, I do have to put that content warning out there. Uh, there's nothing ex- explicit or um, graphic, but she does directly address the consequences of those uh, things that happened to her in a very honest and open way. And I think that's what I like about the book so much. It does feel like a deeply personal book in a way that's not judgmental, but it's hard not to read her own thoughts about this stuff in the book. So it's one of the best comics I've read this year. It's a tremendous work. I think it's very Mm -hmm. important work. And again, like I said, I I highly recommend it with that giant caveat. Some content might be uncomfortable for some readers, but that said, I I thought it was a tremendous book. So yeah, every single person, like from all waves of life, I think that has picked this book up. It says it's it's one of the best books they've read this year. I'm so hyped yep. to get my copy. For some reason, I forgot to pre-order this at my comic shop like a dingus. So um, <laughs> I'm, I had to pre-order it when I went on Saturday and picked up my sure. huge stack of trades that I forgot that I had a pre-order. You know, it's that problem right. of like you don't go for like three weeks and then you forget. Oh, crap. I hit, you know, pre-order on like six things and then they all come in at <laughs> once. But yeah, yeah, no, that sounds amazing. I'm, I'm very excited to check this out. Yeah. And I, I don't mean to make it sound like all grim. There are some like some genuine moments of levity and humor that she finds in the absurdity of the situation. So it's not mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not completely depressing, but it is very depressing overall but uh yeah it's, <laughs> right. it's, yeah it's definitely a book to take your time with and read slowly not in just one sitting i guess is what i'm trying to say gotcha gotcha kara what about you what how have you been how are comics all that stuff um i have been watching the disintegration of twitter from the inside out <laughs> no, I've been spend- no i've been spending like way more time on twitter than i normally would because i'm like what is the garbage fire today and uh-huh. it's like totally fascinating very horrifying but also it kind of feels like i don't know i I feel like i use twitter predominantly to keep up with the comic book industry and comic book news Mm -hmm. and i've been seeing a lot of people talking about migrating to different places or like downloading all their content and just deleting their accounts and it makes me kind of sad because i feel like 
for all its flaws, Twitter is a great way to find like easily disseminate news through more niche communities like that in a way that was still mm-hmm. like searchable and accessible. And I mm-hmm. don't know what another like easy enough equivalent of that would be. And I know a lot of people say like, oh, oh, Tumblr. And I'm like, yes, but if we all go on Tumblr, then everything just becomes a nightmare of reblogs and you will just scroll forever. <laughs> <laughs> it's not right. as succinct. Yeah. So yeah. um that's making me a little bit a little bit sad about that. Uh, I'm gonna total 180 from Paul's pick and share with you <laughs> this manga that I read Makeup is Not Just Magic by Akumi Roda <laughs> and you know what guys <laughs> I, what? I really like I really like how to manga I feel like this sure. is definitely more of a thing in manga as opposed to American style comics where uh, our, our artist and author will get money to create a book that explains how to do something like i very happily read the marie kondo manga a few years ago Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. was like here's the marie kondo method in manga format let's take this girl on a journey through cleaning up her life and getting a boyfriend by cleaning her house (laughs) and this one um also in in that genre of like here's how to do these things we will tell it to you through manga format and this particular manga is presented as a beginner manual to makeup and skincare, which like I was thinking of you earlier, uh, telling our listeners about the hangout coming up and joking about Nick going off about F1. I was like, tell them that I'll yell at them about skincare. I will make everyone put on oh, right. sunscreen if it kills me. So, anyway. I forgot that was a big topic. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so um, this manga was interesting because like, in how-to mangas that I have read, I'm used to more of a structure where they try to like force a plot. But this one, instead of having an overarching plot in this manga, it was definitely presented as more like serialized chapters. Like each chapter was set up where there was a different internet commenter asking a question about makeup or skincare. And the author's persona in the book would answer this question. So... Not really a typical narrative plot structure, but more of like a mm-hmm. like a call and response situation. <laughs> the thing that there are like a, a few little touches that just made me so delighted that this was a manga. Um, one of them was the internet commenters. Like instead of just showing what their question was in text, they were personified as like a tiny little cheapy version of themselves that like squished their way out of the smartphone screen. <laughs> the author. <laughs> to like show show up and be like sensei guide me (laughs) how do i that's so adorable how do i know what skin type i have (laughs) it was just really charming and it's interesting to read because i've read way more than my fair share of makeup and skincare how to's over the years Mm -hmm. and so i came into this with a lot of opinions already so in my humble opinion this manga is not a good starting point for a beginner Because almost immediately, the author is like, so you want to get started with fixing your face? Well, you're going to need 50 products. And I was like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) um, (laughs) But it was also interesting to see, like, one thing that I I did really enjoy was um, in American and Western media talking about how to apply makeup. Mm -hmm. There's not usually a discussion of how eye makeup applied differently for different eye shapes makes a difference 
but mm. since this manga right. is japanese they go into like how how to like use eye makeup if you have a monolid if you have hooded eyes like they went into the different like why would you use different shades of shadow in different places on your eye if your eye had a different shape and i thought that was very interesting because it's not something i've seen discussed a lot again in in america sure and uh yeah it was just like i i cannot like fully recommend this for somebody who's interested in learning more about makeup and skincare because it is like very clearly sort of tied up in this um author like being slightly autobiographical like she used to work at a makeup counter and is now a mangaka she's talking about how she felt like like some dude like she had like part of her origin story of how she got into makeup and it was because some like random dude bumped into her like while walking down the street one day and called her frumpy and it like triggered this i was like (laughs) i was really not expecting it to get that hard that quick and then be like totally dismissed and never talked about again but she was basically like society thinks that i'm frumpy and i wanted to change that and now makeup is like a self-expression for me but it's also like you do need a like a standard baseline of looking a certain way for people to like treat you okay and i was like brutal slightly true but i hate it and i do it myself but like no, I don't <laughs> like don't talk to me. I just don't look at my collection of eyeshadow. I don't feel very t- <laughs> like there's too many things happening in my brain right now. But it was like mm-hmm. but but like part of that perspective I think for for her shown through and like she was saying, "Oh, if you do nothing else, make sure you have like a good foundation on your face to like hide all your gotcha. flaws." Like that was her number one was start with a a beautiful visage. And I'm looking at my makeup collection. I was like, yo, I like never put foundation on. Like maybe if I'm going to an event and I know I'm going to be photographed. But aside from that, I'm just like color on my eyes, color on my lips, the end. Because that's the fun part. And she was like, no, you need to look perfect first. And I was like, ma'am, can I introduce you to (laughs) glitter? (laughs) (laughs) Distract from your flaws with sparkly objects on your face. Exactly. No. Okay, but it was it was it was interesting to kind of like be in conversation with myself about my own approach to makeup and skincare while looking at this guide that was like self-professed to be for beginners and like presented in like the thing that really like bothered me about it, even though I totally would have been the target demographic for this is the like the little barcode label on the back of the book where it kind of tells you like you know it's they show like what genre the book is or something Mm -hmm. and this was categorized as teen and i was like don't don't give i mean yes like as a teenager i 100 percent would have devoured this and loved it but like no (laughs) no yeah yeah so that's my that was my complicated and unexpectedly emotional journey through a manga that i can't (laughs) can't totally recommend on any level Listen, <laughs> comics comics will do things to you well, you never expect it you know it's sometimes mm-hmm. you read a book and it just takes you by storm i totally get that i will say one <laughs> final thought of this because uh, another part that i was genuinely delighted at i have a very very long and very very complicated relationship with the skin on my face because it has been acne prone for the majority of my life at this point and sure. it's something i am like constantly like hyper fixated on and there was a chapter about like what to do about your large pores or your clogged pores if you have like blackheads or whiteheads or acne and so Mm -hmm. they actually like 
explained what makes a zit and how to let the the commenter was like asking oh how do i how do i get rid of them like what's the best way to like squeeze them out of my face and like the correct answer is you're not supposed to touch them and you're supposed to like gradually exfoliate and just like not use any products that clog your skin but nobody wants to hear that they want to watch friggin dr <laughs> pimple popper on no 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 they don't no they don't so, not me nope. right, absolutely no, no, no. not but, okay. no <laughs> but like you're just you're genuinely not supposed to do anything of that so to illustrate yeah. Yeah. you're not supposed to like extract the the gunk in your pores um were these little like adorable manga illustrations of like your clogged pores personified so the little <laughs> just like a little glob with a cute face just like chilling in your pore representing a blackhead and i'm like oh he's so cute so they were just yeah. showing what it looks like when you're trying to like <clears throat> yank out the cute little blackhead <laughs> and it looked, no. just, it looked adorable because it's it's a shoujo manga style so it's just this little like <laughs> bubble with a smiley face just being like uh -huh. and it's like well if you tear out a blackhead you might damage the like cell walls of your pores don't do it and i'm like well now that i've seen the illustration of the cheerful little blackhead being ripped out of its home like i'll surely <laughs> view this differently <laughs> that'll teach you That'll teach you not to damage your pores. Well, on that note, Mike, how about you? What'd you read? Uh, I'm going to move on to a completely different subject. Uh, we're back to superhero comics. Uh, welcome back, everyone. I hope you all feel informed and go read that manga because it does sound very interesting if you're interested in wearing makeup. But um, I'm not. Instead, I'm going to talk about the Fantastic Four 2022 number one. I read by Ryan North and uh, Iban Coelho. The, the basis of this that I was pitched for it was fantastic four is fun and you know i don't really know much about the fantastic four beyond your average comic fans knowledge right so there's stretch man there's Fireboy, there's invisible <laughs> lady there's rock dude they're a family people made it very dramatic in recent years and it never seemed like something that i would be into despite my love of the idea of marvel's first family like i have this weird romantic idea of what they are and there's a lot of potential i uh, like Kirby-esque insanity, right? The there are stories about them going to the macroverse or the microverse, and you know, traveling around and seeing all these big things, things that we're going to see in the new Ant-Man movie, supposedly. Like the Mark Miller stuff always intrigued me, but I never tried it, and I never. I think I read like the first issue of the Hickman run, and I just never was able to get into Fantastic Four. Anytime the Fantastic Four were involved in things, I thought it was cool, but I could never read a Fantastic Four comic and really enjoy it. But the folks on the 70 millimeter discord, the folks on the IRCB discord, some folks said it was good. And, you know, I'll always try a recommendation, even a recommendation that I know is bad, even a recommendation that I know is a joke. I'm here to give things a try because how do you grow as a comic fan if you're not trying new things out of your comfort zone? That's like been my mantra for the past eight years we've been doing this show and you know not everything's going to work for you i completely understand that like i think that's a really good thing because if everything works for you like do you have taste ponder that dear listener mm -hmm. i ask you that question i'm um, <laughs> sorry i'm attacking danny directly right now in the chat I... <laughs> um, but <laughs> sorry danny i all i'm saying is that like you, you read more, you start to understand what you like, you start to understand what you dislike. And as you in, you know engage more in these pieces of literature, you feel what works for you and what doesn't. So I tried this book and you know what? It's pretty good. 
Um, despite Ryan, despite what Ryan North says about his this being like a new reader friendly book, it kind of isn't because it feels like there's this implied thing that you should know. But I went into this book completely blind and I still had a pretty good time, right? Like I didn't really know who Alicia Masters was, which is the thing's wife, girlfriend, but they make that very clear about who they are um, and how like the thing and Alicia work because the story is about the thing and his wife traveling and they end up at a hotel and shenanigans incur because that's what happens when the fantastic four get involved in anything but the issue ends on a nice hook um it'll be interesting to see how it plays out but i don't think that i'm going to be along for this ride despite ryan north's beautiful mantra a beautiful series of points that he has at the at the back of this issue about what his four pillars are of writing this book um like the fantastic four are fun the fantastic four are adventurers the fantastic four can do anything and the fantastic four are accessible like I love the idea of pushing that onto this book because I think, again, multiple writers over the past decade have taken the Fantastic Four and made them extremely dramatic. Um, and really, the Fantastic Four are supposed to be a fun group. They're supposed to be the the optimistic 50s era, like retro futurism thing that we see where everything is bright and shiny and the futures of the Jetsons and everything is positive and optimistic and the future is great. Um, and you really aren't supposed to dig into the implications of things and instead lean on what is positive and that everyone's prospering, right? I think the Fantastic Four is supposed to embrace that to a certain extent. And I think that's what this series is maybe going to do. But I don't know if I got that out of the first issue completely. I felt like the first issue was wholesome. I felt like we get to understand that these people care about other people. But if I want to read a book about a superhero who cares about people, I would go read Spider-Man. Fantastic Four doesn't feel like that book. To me, Fantastic Four should be out journeying and discovering and, and you know, fighting off I don't know, like cosmic entities or whatever, um, and working together as a family. Instead, this issue was very, very grounded. And to me, that just doesn't didn't click. So I don't know. I'm excited to see where the book goes, but I don't think I'm going to be along for the ride. But again, if you're looking for something wholesome and interesting and a new take on the Fantastic Four, I think that this works. This will probably work for you. So cool. I don't know. It's it's cool. Plus, the cover art's beautiful. Like, say what yeah. you will about Alex Ross. The dude knows how to draw a damn good superhero comic <laughs> book cover. <laughs> I've not picked this up yet. I'm very curious. I Fantastic Four is something that I really love in in theory, but right. very rarely actually sit down and read. Like I read all of Hickman's run and I didn't really understand two thirds of it, but I was there for sure. it, you know. Sure. Uh but obviously there's so much, like you said, so much Kirby baked into the concept that even kind of tease that stuff out, that's really appealing to me. So I'm I'm curious to check this out. It might be yeah. my uh my version of Fantastic Four, you know, contemporary version. So I think the Fantastic Four are like the Archie comic, the Archie gang of the Marvel <laughs> universe. Like you could theoretically put the four of them into like any situation and it would like sort of work because they all, as long as they're like sticking to their character type is like, is, is kind of how I yeah. see it or like Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Like they, they kind of like fit into those, like you said, like more, more cheerful, optimistic. Like if you just accept that they're in, they have like a new story then it's fine. Like, I almost feel like they should not be laden with continuity. Like, they should be yeah, making right. a Fantastic Four book where every single issue is, like, totally different. Continuity doesn't matter. It's just, here's an adventure with the Fantastic Four. Like, that would make yeah. more yeah. sense than trying to, like, tie them into the Marvel Universe almost. 
100 percent agree with that i think like you know lost in space also feels like this like old you know star trek kind of feels like they they hit that same niche right of pulpy sci-fi that can just exist and you understand who they are like their basic tropes and then we can run with that for the story um who knows if ryan north is going to do that the the end of the issue has a big plot hook feels a little bit heavier than i think the idea that he was pitching but who knows it may play out in a very interesting way anyways uh, paul what else have you been reading anything else you want to touch on before we move past all these comic books <laughs> i'm never going to move past these comic books mike that's why oh, we're here. okay okay we talk about comics uh uh you talk about breaking out of your comfort zone so i read two batman comics i'd never read before so there we go <laughs> they're new Paul. to me um yeah <laughs> so i actually read these and um i was kind of interested in the parallels between these two stories so i kind of want to talk about them at the same time so one was sure. batman special number one this came out in 1984 written by Mike W. Barr, artwork by Michael Golden and Mike DiCarlo, uh, colors by Adrian Roy and letters by Todd Klein. Uh, the other book I read was uh, Batman Year Two, not being confused with Batman Year One, the legendary, mm-hmm. you know, Frank Miller, David Mazzuccelli classic. Batman Year Two instead is again written by Michael W. Barr, art by Alan Davis and Todd McFarlane, uh, Adrian Roy back oh. on colors, and there's different inkers and letters on those books. And that story actually unfolded uh, in Detective Comics 575 through 578. So let me start with Batman special number one. So both these stories kind of feature characters who are mirror images of Batman. So in Batman special number one, which is basically just an oversized one shot um, that came out in the 84, it's about a character called the Wraith and or the Wrath. Sorry, the Wrath is a vigilante stalking the streets of Gotham, uh, killing police officers. And he's trying to assassinate Jim Gordon. Because uh, the Wrath, as a young boy, his parents were criminals and his parents were shot by a police officer, a young Jim Gordon, on the exact same night that Thomas and Martha Wayne were killed by Joe Chill in Crime Alley. Oh my, no. So you literally have an exact (laughs) parallel of Batman. Of course, he kills, you know, he's, he's taking out police officers. Batman has to stop him and protect Jim Gordon. Oh, um, yes. It's pretty goofy stuff. <laughs> it's pretty ridiculous. Uh, what I like about it is the way Mike Golden and uh, Mike DiCarlo and the artwork do a lot of mirror images of each other across the page. It has almost like, mm-hmm. aside from the violence in it, it does feel like a Silver Age comic where you get like the evil version of Batman versus the good version of Batman. So it's a pretty fun. Right. He's got a goatee you know, and all that Batman stuff, comic. right? It also happens to feature uh, Leslie Tompkins, who is like low key one of my favorite uh, Batman side characters. So she's great. Like every time she shows up, I'm so delighted. I'm like, oh, you remembered. <laughs> yeah, there's some really nice moments there with Leslie Tompkins, who, I mean, for those who don't know your Batman history, she's a woman that uh, was a doctor. She ran a, um, what do you call it, a clinic in Crime Alley, Park Row, and she mm-hmm. kind of comforted Bruce the night that his parents were killed. And there's a nice relationship between her and Batman where she doesn't approve of Batman's use of violence, and she knows that Bruce is Batman. But she recognizes that he's doing something good for the city as a whole. So there's an interesting tension between those two characters. <laughs> right. And there's a, a moment where, you know, the Wrath, uh, the character, he has uh, a girlfriend and they were going to, you know, run off together, you know, once he finishes his mission to kill Commissioner Gordon. And of course, the Wrath ends up dying uh, by accident. Batman didn't kill him. Spoilers. And then, you know, let, <laughs> spoilers for a... Uh, <laughs> what a 38 year old comic book um yeah yeah but there there's a a moment where leslie Tompkins, you know she comes back and she comforts the you know the the woman who's who was wrath's girlfriend it's like showing that her version of 
combating crime is compassion versus you know Batman's use of violence. So it was a nice moment. I think uh, overall, like I said, it was a, a solid '80s um, a Batman story. On the other hand, Batman Year Two uh, from 1987 uh, doesn't quite live up to the its uh, predecessor, Batman Year One, the legendary comic by Frank Miller and Dave Mitchell, which is probably say. my probably my favorite Batman comic <laughs> of all time. Yeah, believe it or not. Batman Year Two doesn't quite match up match that level. It is uh, one of the weirdest Batman comics I've ever read, though. So uh, there's, <laughs> okay. it has that going Why? for it. <laughs> well, in Batman Year Two, we discover that uh, 20 years before ba- Bruce Wayne becomes Batman, there was another vigilante in Gotham called the Reaper, and the Reaper, you know, wore a skull mask and he had these giant razor sharp scythes like the Grim Reaper has. Um, and he would just straight up kill criminals uh, instead of, you know, arresting them like Batman does, whatever. Uh, and he terrorized the underworld of Gotham for years. And all of a sudden he shows up again out of nowhere. And uh, you know, <gasps> Batman, dun, dun, dun. Uh, exactly. Batman, uh, you know, who's kind of new to the job. It's only his second year. Um, and then, you know, James Gordon, who has just pre- had just recently been um, selected to be commissioner. They have to work together to kind of defeat the Reaper, but uh, Batman realizes that the Reaper is out of his league. He's not ready to combat him yet, and he has to debate, should I use the methods I already have developed as Batman, or do I have to fight fire with fire and like use violence against the Reaper? The end of the first issue of Batman Year Two, it's revealed that Bruce Wayne decides that in order to defeat the Reaper, it's to use his own methods against him and kill him using the same gun that Joe Chill used to kill his parents, which apparently he had Whoa. in the Batcave this whole time. So no. what? <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So yeah. you're telling me that this could have been the plot of the Robert Pattinson Batman film instead of <laughs> <laughs> what we had. Always room for the sequel. I'm just saying. Um, oh, no. But, uh, like, but anyways. <laughs> it yeah. could have been better in a way, I think, to... <laughs> To be like in well, conversation with a darker version of yourself that's not like sure. too yeah. real. Well, I will just say it gets weirder after that because oh. it turns out that, you know, Bruce Wayne meets a young woman uh, who's uh, studying or like preparing to go into a convent to become a nun. Um, her father is a wealthy businessman who's come back to Gotham to kind of see her, her off to the convent. Bruce falls in love with her and they have a whirlwind romance. She decides not to go to the convent. She's going to marry Bruce Wayne. But, and again, spoilers for a comic that is 35 years old the woman's father is actually the reaper. So (gasps) he discovers that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Yes. (laughs) So this, this, that you've, this particular segment of this plot that you've just described is in (laughs) fact, the exact backstory of Jack Sparrow's love interest in Pirates of the Caribbean (laughs) four on stranger tides. (laughs) So you're telling me that the Jerry Bruckheimer film house production company has no original ideas. Shocker. Shocker. <laughs> um, but so so. But aside from that, it becomes even more complicated because Batman realizes um, the only way he can kind of defeat the Reaper is in, not by killing him. He decides so he's going to actually work with the underworld criminal families of Gotham because you know they have to get the Reaper off the streets because he's killing all of their their uh, thugs or their uh, their henchmen. Batman's got the same. We got to get this guy off the streets. He has to work with the crime families that have united and they decide to team Batman up with none other than Joe Chill, the man who killed his parents. So he has to work with the man who killed his parents to take out this uh, 
So yes, it 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 is a bit of a mess narratively. And look, uh-huh. so that was the that's a four issue story. They did a sequel a couple years after this where Joe Chill's own son comes back and becomes a new version of the Reaper. I won't even get into that. That thing is an absolute yeah. mess. Um I, okay. I keep saying Paul with this like twinge of disappointment. It's not your fault, but like <laughs> I know. So, like, no. Well, this is this is I I feel like the writer entirely missed the point of Joe Chill. The point yes. of Joe Chill yeah. is that violence can be totally random and arbitrary and the result of a lot of like societal factors out of one person's control and to turn it into like Joe Chill is like fatally bound up in Bruce's whole entire life. It's like, no, like the whole point of <laughs> like Batman just wants to make sure this doesn't happen to other people. It's not mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. of Joe Chill himself. It's because of crime in general. Joe Chill has to be the symbol for crime in general to like against other people that Batman's defending against. It can't be like sure. a rivalry because then Listen. that's not <laughs> the point. Kara, hold on, hold on. Are you? We're talking about big, dumb, bombastic comics later in the show. We'll get to all of this later. I already talked about a makeup manga, Mike. We're already there. (laughs) (laughs) I I, it's very funny because I'm reading this book. Like this kind of fits in with the topic for today's episode. Oh, this Mm -hmm. is a very dumb comic. Uh, I will say. In its in its favor, uh, Alan Davis is a tremendous artist. He does great Batman work. He did already did mm-hmm. a, a run on Detective Comics with Michael Barr before this story. That stuff looks great. Uh, the full circle story with Joe Chill's son that's also illustrated by Alan Davis, and it looks lovely despite being a complete mess. It is interesting to see Todd McFarlane's work here because it's super early. It's before he goes to Marvel and does works on the Hulk and Spider-Man. It's very early in his career, but already he's drawing Batman's cape at spawn-like levels, which is kind of fascinating. Hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> and there's there's one issue where he actually inks himself, and it's the page layouts. I'm like, yeah, he does this in spawn. He's already got it figured out. So it's kind of cool. Again, one of the most successful popular artists of his time to see him in his, in his early phase there. Um, and despite being such a complete shit show, Batman Year Two was a huge influence on the Mask of the Phantasm story. So if you've seen the animated film Mask of the Phantasm, uh, again, speaking of Kevin Conroy, they borrow all the good parts of uh, Batman Year Two for that story without any of the messiness. So that's a much better version of the story. I'll save you the the trouble of reading it. Uh, just go watch Mas- Mask of the Phantasm instead. And if you haven't seen Mask of the Phantasm, and if you are unfamiliar with the animated Batman world, which I don't think you would be if you're listening to this podcast, but on the off chance, (laughs) many people regard Mask of the Phantasm to be one of the best Batman stories ever in any medium. So maybe give that give that a whirl. Kara, what's your other book that you read this week? Let's (laughs) talk about it. Mm, deeply on brand again. Uh, I read Big Ethel Energy, Volume 1 by Carol Brown Ahmed and Siobhan Keenan. Um, this is this is an Archie comic. This is, interestingly, a Webtoon first comic. Um, so I read... Ooh. Yeah, so I read The Trade, but it's kind of like Lore Olympus, where it started out as a Webtoon, and then they printed in a book to expand the readership. And mm-hmm. it's terrific so ethel is a character in archie comics where in like the mid-century archie comics like well into the 80s i would say she was still being referred to as big ethel and was 
a character always drawn as being like very tall, very gangly with like a buck tooth situation going on that was very unfortunate. And her defining character trait for the majority of her existence in Archie Comics was to be totally in love with Jughead. And Jughead's one of his defining character traits at the time was he hates women. So their dynamic was always her chasing him <laughs> and him like being very vocal about <laughs> hating women. And so um as, what as a time can, for comics. What a time for <laughs> comics indeed. And uh oh. all right. So um and in the last like 30 years or so, 40 years or so, they realized, oh, actually, that's a very offensive thing to do. We should probably not. Huh. like reduce people to just being like the gangly like ugly girl who's boy crazy so this is uh i really i really like when archie does things that are different and if you're like a newer archie watcher <laughs> you might be like but they're always doing something different and i'm like well yeah because that's their advantage as a small family-owned company they can do whatever the ceo wants to do at any given time and just mm -hmm. do it like they have an IP, but they're not like, oh, it's like the Batman IP and there's only so much we can do with it. And he can never actually change. They're just like, yeah, give Ethel her own series. Make it be in her 20s. She's sure. an adult now. Make, this is for make adult Jughead readers. as hot as possible. I'm looking at some of the preview. Jughead's Holy so freaking hot in this book. Like, Dude. yo, <laughs> everybody in this book. Is this webtoon. allowed? Yes. I'm they're just all saying, hot. Like... I just... <laughs> Mike, I I went I got to the end of volume one where the um artist and author had their little bios and the artist in her bio included a line where she was just like, one time my instructor told me to stop making everybody hot and I didn't listen and I was like, good for you, <laughs> like, dude. So, seriously, like I love so, this. I love the look of this this comic. It's, well, it's awesome. That's the lesson they learned from the CW. They're like, oh, everybody wants to w watch hot young people do stu stupid things. And I'm like, yes, mm -hmm. add mm -hmm. a supernatural element. We're good. So big <laughs> Ethel energy. Uh, so Ethel is like, quote unquote, living her best life as a writer in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And on the same, I know, and I know, and on the same day, she like gets a job offer that she can't refuse to come home to Riverdale to write a book about Riverdale and gets evicted from her apartment. So she's like, well, guess I'm going home to Riverdale, the place I hated, the place where high school was terrible for me. So they're like interspersing her now with her high school flashbacks as she like mm. reconnects with all the people from high school. Um, I enjoy muchly that Archie is a total dick in this book because you get the you get the sense from like reading any Archie comic ever. You're like, wait, Archie's kind of an asshole. He just strings all these girls along constantly. Like, why is he the lead? And so you kind of see that reflected in Ethel's point of view where Archie's just like, hi, I'm Archie. And she's like, we went to high school together for four years and you scammed free movie tickets off me one time when I thought you were asking me out on a double date with Jughead. And I was like, oh, girl. So <laughs> anyway, so it's all about like, you know, confronting your past, like trying to figure out new connections moving forward. Um, a nice touch that I really liked is she runs into um, Moose Mason at the high school. And for anyone who's spent any time at all reading older Archie comics, you will know that Moose was often referred to as big moose 
Right. And he was also always Midge's boyfriend. And his defining feature was being really jealous about any boy who wasn't him who talked to Midge and saying yep. the word duh like in all of his sentences <laughs> because he was the lunkhead jock. So it was, yeah. it was like a nice thing to have them be like Big Moose and Big Ethel both glowed up and now they're like going on a date at pops together and i'm like yes this <laughs> so cute love this for you but yeah in this in this um webtoon slash book jughead is like a super hot 20 something who apparently is like a millionaire from selling an app and now just like does cooking videos in his penthouse that he shares with archie and i'm like <laughs> in love River- this for in you riverdale? in riverdale i'm like love this okay. for you good job babe so <laughs> I will definitely. Dude, I'm so excited to read this. I'm so excited to read this on my phone tonight. That's it, what I'm going to do. It's so delightful. I am definitely going to continue following this journey and just like small sidebar, personal level of enjoyment. Shout out to this artist for this choice. If you were at all online uh, in 2020, which I assume you were since you were in your house and not going anywhere, and you were mm-hmm. like peripherally engaged in the cottage core aesthetic part of the internet, you might have come across the Larika Matoshi strawberry dress and wanted one and or bought one <laughs> during the pandemic. And mm-hmm. Ethel is wearing the strawberry dress in one of the panels of this book, and I died. I was like, you are very online and everyone is very stylish, and I love this muchly keep doing weird shit archie i'm here for it (laughs) this dress is amazing okay i need to stop googling things um i'm very (laughs) excited that you brought this to my attention Kara. i thought this was just going to be some other archie comic that i is going to be hard for me to get into this sounds no it's glorious yeah you will enjoy how how pretty and awful everybody is (laughs) well all right let me talk about two quick comics before uh two quick one of these is not going to be quick i'm just going to warn you in advance um (laughs) i'm going to talk about two more comics then we're going to jump into the top of our pile picks uh i read gospel number one uh this is from image comics written and drawn by will morris it's set during the reign of king henry the eighth where religion is now for a profit venture focus of the story is on a young woman named matilde uh daring or matilda i don't know how you say that i guess a daring wannabe hero and pit a bard who's reluctant to skew the truth in order to tell a fantastical story and this is a story about stories it's really fun about how talking about how tales grow from reality to myth on the question of like how can you tell fact from fiction in a time where word of mouth is the primary means of communication um i don't think that the story is as lofty as maybe i'm making it out to be but i felt like that was kind of the core of the story um there is a really interesting twist at the end of this issue that i thought was fun as this question of what is real and what is fake comes up um there's some past and present jumping around times like within the story itself and then into modern day, which I didn't really get the point of, but it didn't really take away from the story. Um, So yeah, I don't know. I really like the way that Image is doing this thing where they're uh, taking all of these different stories from different like single person artists or creative teams and trying to like publish them as miniseries. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that top of my pile, but this was really good. The art is really gorgeous. The characters are really fun. Like I said, the flashback stuff is a little clunky, but ultimately it's really good. I think this is going to be a super fun miniseries. If you're looking for a 15th century period piece about storytelling, it's kind of cool. The other book that I want to talk about, and I'm sorry, in advance, I'm going to apologize. If you have no interest in Hellraiser, you can use the fancy chapter feature in your podcast catcher of choice to skip ahead. But I have a minute um, that I need to talk about. I need to talk about this Hellraiser omnibus that I finally finished. Um, When I said that Hellraiser omnibus volume one was going to be at the top of my pile pick a few weeks back, I didn't realize that it was going to be 511 pages. I forget (laughs) what an omnibus means. Um, Ultimately, all I can say is 
F this comic. This is awful. Uh, in the credits of this Boom Studios omnibus, it says that Clive Barker helped write some of this, but I absolutely can't believe that. This feels like a really shitty superhero comic more than a Hellraiser comic. Um, despite the first eight issues of this omnibus containing what I thought was pretty interesting meta textual commentary and intricate like insight into the Cenobite world that is Hellraiser. Um, it all gets absolutely erased in the second half of the book. Um, don't get me wrong. Like I appreciated the dedication to the established lore with the puzzle boxes and other trinkets made by Le Marchand being core to the story until they fucking were. And suddenly pinhead, AKA Elliot Spencer wants to destroy the world by becoming a Kaiju in the Indian ocean to fight hell's God. Why? <laughs> <laughs> i know though? if you have never seen any of the hellraiser stuff I i'm sorry not. there is so much to unpack here that makes me frustrated because in hellraiser 2 they established that there is this hell there's this god that lives in hell and it's a pretty fun idea and then they it goes completely untouched after that um except for in hellraiser 4 where they talk about how these trinkets that this french toy builder created um are like keys to unlocking portals to hell it's really really fun the book takes a weird religious bent for like half a second, despite the the core of a lot of the stories in all of the movies and everything saying like, you think that the Christian God is the only God out there. You fools. There are greater things than that. And then suddenly Leviathan, who is this God of hell says, Oh, God's plans are a mystery. And I didn't know if that was sarcastic or earnest because in the moment it never gets addressed. This Omni goes way off the rails. It elevates and erases established lore of the Hellraiser 4, a.k.a. Hellraiser Bloodlines, which pisses me off because, quite honestly, if you're going to lean into stupid horror lore, why not, like, extra lean into it when you have the possibility of, like, a comic book where there are no, like, production studios saying, no, 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 we can't do that. Mm -hmm. The art of this book is all over the place, changing almost issue to issue. Um, near the end of this omnibus, it felt like artists tried two issues and then just were like, I can't do this because it's so bad. The final arc written by Mark Allen Miller, a.k.a. the vice president of Seraphim Incorporated, which is Clive Barker's production company, really stinks. Um, awful comic book writer, clearly wanted to tell an action thriller, but then wow. said, well, what if we made it Hellraiser? Wow. This is not Mark Miller <laughs> who has written things like The Ultimates. This is another Mark miller another um, bad mark miller yeah. yeah another bad mark miller um his story <laughs> pulled really like a really hard left for the series and made honestly the last half of this omnibus really tough to read um bad lettering as well huge chunks of paragraphs and like squeezed into one bubble which to me is like the is super annoyance um plus the the art being all over the place just didn't make for a really good comic book um I enjoy how normally on this show, we're like, we're going to keep things positive and talk about I, books that we genuinely love. And no, this episode, every single this. one of us have been like, anyway, this was weird. <laughs> Here's the thing. I, I have fallen into the pit of Hellraiser and I have a certain expectation. They set me up with four movies that were pretty bad and good at the same time. Uh -huh. And then somehow five onward is like, nobody gets the... Nobody understands the movie or understands what Clive Barker was doing. Clive Barker's barely involved, if involved at all. So anyways, the comic book, I think I would have thought like with Clive Barker being involved in some capacity, maybe would have been good. There's even like scribbles and notes from Clive Barker in the omnibus itself. Like Boom Studios did a good job of making a well-collected omnibus. They always do a good job of this. But like the story just it just isn't there and it's so frustrating because they kept trying to tie back into the lore of the story while missing the point of the series like 
the 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 core of of Hellraiser is the evil of man's lust for pain and pleasure is committed by the most heinous of us, and the innocents around us pay the the price that these evil men seek for the greatest extremes of this lust, men and women, right? So Kirsty Cotton is a character from the first movie, the second movie. And then she gets referenced in the third movie and she's not in the fourth movie. And then she shows up again in like the sixth movie or the seventh movie. I can't remember. And the, the, this whole storyline is about her for some reason. And yet you see none of the defining traits of her in the very end of the story. We get references back to the first and the second movie, but then it's ultimately washed away because the story of Pinhead wanting to become like the God of the universe and bring hell to earth it becomes like the thing. And that's not the point. The point of the series is to punish people for being to just being awful human beings. Like every story about how Razor should be about a bad person doing bad things. And then at the end of the story, they get what's coming to them. It's it's a pretty simple formula. And yet all these writers out there think, oh, I need to twist it. I need to tell a story about a cop who's actually a good guy, but he can't control his emotions and blah, blah, blah. And he dicks what? over his family, but he's actually a good person because <laughs> he saved a, a sex worker once. It's. Like that's Hellraiser five, probably the worst movie I've ever seen next to Amsterdam. So anyways, this, this <laughs> omnibus is so disappointing night. and I'm sorry. I just had to, I had to go off on this. Like I warned everybody. Okay. Um, okay. The, no, most, like, the, oh gosh, you guys. It's ugh, anyways, no, 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 it's interesting because it's like your argument about what's wrong with this. The, the too much Hellraiser is exactly what I just said about you didn't understand Joe chill in the Batman context. Like if you don't sure. <laughs> get the core conceit of your characters, what are you doing? Right. Sam makes a good point in the chat. Hellraiser should also be very horny. I didn't get any horn mm. out of this omnibus. Okay. <laughs> there was no horn in the omnibus. Uh, besides I don't. Okay. The, you know what the worst part about it is? So when you turn into a Cenobite, cause right when you get killed by the Cenobites who are the villains that come out of the, the, the dimension layer of hell, um, Wait, like Pinhead is a Cenobite. Faces? Are those the spike yes. faces? Guys? Here's yeah, the thing. I'm not a horror person, the, Mike. I don't know what this, this thing is that you're going off okay. about. It's the guy with the white face and there's like spikes sticking out of it. There's yes. like spikes. Sticking, yes. Okay. Oh, that's the guy who showed up for like five seconds in cabin in the woods. Spoilers. Yes. And well, sort of. And I thought he looks sad. He needs a hug. And then. <laughs> no, he doesn't. Maybe, not, maybe not. Don't but hug like... him. No. Don't hug him. Don't hug hell priest. Don't do it. <laughs> so yeah, that's the thing. When you become a Cenobite, cause when you get killed by these Cenobites, you become one. Ultimately okay. you turn into this manifestation of whatever your, your sin was, whatever your sins were. Right. Okay. Um, Kirsty Cotton somehow trades places with Pinhead and then also becomes a Pinhead, but she it doesn't make any sense. I don't know. There's an implication that the head hell priest is a nail Pinhead person, but it's stupid. It's dumb. It doesn't make any sense. It ignores the lore that was established and I can't get over it. <laughs> I, I should have never gone on this journey. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of interesting to hear about, Mike. Yeah. I enjoy how upset you are about this. <laughs> Yeah, this is Mike, all Mike, just me wanting to watch Hellraiser 2022. Sorry, Paul, go ahead. I, I was gonna say, I, I really appreciate I've only watched the first two Hellraiser movies, and I, I appreciate okay. you going the rest of the way so I don't have to. So thank you for your service. Um, but also briefly want to say, if you didn't like this, you should definitely check out the Hellraiser masterpieces collections that are also on Hoopla. At least the first one's on Hoopla. Because yeah. that was yeah, kind of like Unlimited too. Yep, they came out in the early 90s, and instead of being an overarching story, they're basically just little one-shot standalone stories about mm. different people finding the puzzle boxes. Yes. And um, it's got like a murderer's row of creators, like Neil Gaiman does a story, Lana Wachowski mm -hmm. does a story, um, Alex Ross is on art 
Uh, one of the stories Dude. is Mike Mignola's story. Kevin oh. O'Neill, the late great Kevin O'Neill, does a story in it. Um, that stuff's really this, fun. So you probably like that a lot more. Can I read that and not know and not have seen any of the films? And, Kara, yeah. I don't know if you want to read any of this. I, it's oh. pretty gruesome <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I I will say those those comics are way more standalone. Like. Like the pinhead character doesn't even show up in, in only in like one story. Most of it is just. But that's this that's little how like, it's supposed to be. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Cal, you 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 sold me on this, Paul. I already checked these out on Comics Eligible. Okay. I'm so mad. I spent all last night finishing this omnibus. <laughs> I'm so mad. Anyways, we have to move on. We're. I'm sorry. This is the longest episode in IRCB history. This is episode 350. We're going really hard today. Yeah. Let's talk about comics that are on the top of our pile. Comic books. <laughs> That either we are excited to read next comics that are new comics that are old things that are on our bookshelf that we're like, you know what, I'm picking that up. Let's just jump right into things. Kara, what is on the top of your pull list? Well, this will be real short for me, Mike, because I have nothing to say except I'm going to read this. <laughs> it's okay. okay. The tr- it's the trade of Captain Carter, Woman Out of Time. And the only reason I knew about this existence is because I've been spending way too much time on Twitter. And I saw Jamie McKelvey tweeting, if case you trade waited, it's here now. And I was like, thank you, Jamie. I didn't. But thank you. I will read that thing. You did the art. I will definitely read that thing. (laughs) Or the writing. I don't even know. I just saw Jamie McKelvey and I was like, done. (laughs) Sold. Anyone who was involved with Young Avengers, I trust you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The other creator is uh, Marika Cresta. And, you know, I just I don't know anything about this. I don't read. I haven't really read any comic books that are like Captain America focused or Agent Carter focused or anything like that. Everything I know is from the movies. I'm a poser nerd on this one. But like (laughs) Haley Atwell is so charming and wonderful as Peggy Mm -hmm. in the Marvel Mm -hmm. Cinematic Universe. Like you could just stop making stop making MCU content unless it's Captain Carter cuz like her in that her like multiverse whatever appearance in a recent film where like she's got the shield and she's got her little union jack jumpsuit and she's doing all the cool stunts and stuff I'm like yeah I would like more of that please so I'm delighted that this comic exists so I can get more of that thank you that's me it looks very pretty <laughs> yeah it's very pretty yeah Paul what about you what are you excited for what's, what are you reading next uh, I'm excited for Below Ambition, which is the new book from Simon Hanselman. Um, of course, that is the follow-up to Crisis Zone, the Meg Mog, uh, Owl, and Werewolf Jones book that came out last year. It's probably my favorite book that came out last year. It directly addressed the um, the pandemic. The characters uh, Meg Mog, Owl, and Werewolf Jones are all stuck together in the house during the pandemic and uh hijinks question mark ensued um it's a uh if you haven't read these comics there's a level of depravity that hanselman has the characters uh rise up to or, or lower down to i guess uh sink to that is just so delightfully over the top and ridiculous um and this book um is about meg and werewolf jones getting their band back together the band horse mania uh and they're billed as the worst band in town they're going to terrorize audiences uh with their distinct noise rock i guess and um mm-hmm. i'm excited just to see again these characters because the handsome is able to make characters that you 
you don't want to relate to, but you find yourself relating to in a weird way, despite totally. the uh, the uh, obscene <laughs> behavior that they engage in. Um, and also, if you buy the hardcover of this book, it comes with a flexi disc single of Horse Mania's song, Stick It In For The Ambient. So I'll be sure to throw that in the record player as soon as I get my copy in my hands. So I know, Mike, you were <laughs> excited for this book, too. So I was. I was. I accidentally bought two copies. Uh, oh, I forgot okay? that I had... I tried to buy the digital edition and it turns out I bought the physical edition. Um, again, this is probably one of those accidental like 3 a.m. I was drinking too much the night before. I was like, I didn't order that book. And then I forgot that I also pre-ordered it from my shop. So I picked it up on Saturday. So now I have two copies. Perfect. Okay. So, you know, I've got the sealed version that has the flexi disc untouched. And then I have the unsealed version that has the flexi disc that fell out on my floor and is definitely covered <laughs> in cat hair because I forgot that there was a disc inside of it. But I'm also very excited to read this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I guess let me let me talk about my top my pick. Uh, I guess before I do that, I should talk about our Discord picks. We've got folks hanging out with us live on the Discord today. Wonderful human beings who get to hear all the technical difficulties and don't get to skip over my Hellraiser rants. Um, <laughs> they're reading some books this week. Hannah's reading Gods and Mortals. Danny is reading Batman One Bad Day, Mr. Freeze number one. Jeff is reading a whole smattering of comics, but wanted to shout out Queen and Country Volume 3. And Aaron is reading Witch Head Atelier to finish up or get close to finishing the Goodreads reading challenge that we have going on right now if you're not a member of that there's still time to read all i think it's like 20 some books or 18 books or something like that that we have on the list it's a it's a huge list of amazing comics every year we curate probably some of the best comic lists in the world so make sure you're part of the goodreads group and once we hit a thousand folks in that group we're going to be doing some merch giveaways anything that we have on our merch store you can get for free as long as you're a goodreads member you get entered into the random giveaway that we're doing but i'm going to interrupt you real quick because i learned today that and I don't know where this statistic came from. It was in like a New York Times editorial. But apparently the average American adult reads 13 books a year. So I just want to thank mm -hmm. all the comic book readers out there for bringing up that average nationally because it's <laughs> definitely us. Hell yes. Yep. Definitely our group that's bringing that national average up. <laughs> the book, though, that I'm excited for this week is Chroma Number 1. This is by Lorenzo DiFelizzi. Uh, the cover for this book looks super sick and DiFelizzi's work on... Uh, Oblivion song was super solid. Image has been doing this thing, like I said earlier, where they take a single person creator and they just throw them or let them do a mini series. And I love that. They did that with Gospel, like I mentioned earlier, Carmen by Gillen March, um, Voyages by Sumie Keschen. Sorry about that. Um, that's just also out this week. Um, I kind of love it. I love this idea of getting these original graphic novels or mini series kind of broken up into chapters and delivered to us every month. I go back and forth on this. Should this be a graphic novel? Should it be single issues? I was listening to an episode of Contest of Challengers, and they were talking about how, they were talking to Ryan Brown and how he would love. He said that he would love to just do original graphic novels so he could deliver his books whenever he wanted. But the problem with that is, is that you lose hype if you're not serialized. People only talk about your book once, versus if you're right. serialized, they talk about your book as many times as it comes out. Which I was like. I never thought about it that way. I've been trying to damn the entire comic system by asking for more graphic novels. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought that was really that was a really interesting insight. Um, I love these little miniseries, though, because they feel super like auteur, like these single person creative teams just 
just pumping out a really cool series and it's really beautiful art um clearly done far far in advance um but i'm okay with that because it ends up with a consistent schedule and if you're reading it month to month that's great and you end up with a super salad collected edition when it's done the synopsis for this sounded interesting like imprisoned in a tower within the walls of pale city chroma is believed to be the most evil creature alive which you've already sold me done but a chance meeting with the mysterious orphan zet creates an opportunity for chroma to escape her cruel fate that is if they can survive the strange dangers within the city walls and the monstrous threats that lie behind i mean i'm all for that sounds really cool whatever looks beautiful i'm I'm on board to at least try one issue so that's top of my pile for me before we even allow for any commentary we're gonna take a quick break (laughs) and when we come back (laughs) we're gonna be talking about big bombastic stupid comics that are dumb but fun we've got a whole range of comics a lot of suggestions from people on the discord so get ready for that we'll be back in just a second This week on I Read Comic Books, we're talking about big, bombastic, stupid comics that are dumb but fun. Sometimes I write topic titles into our Google spreadsheet, and you know, I go, I go, I don't know what's going to come out of this, but it's definitely going to be something fun. Little did I know, we were already going to hit the theme before we got to the second <laughs> half of this show. So we've, I think you may have an idea of what we're talking about here, but Kara, Paul, and I, I think we approach this topic with some different ideas in mind. So let's go around the room really quick and talk about how we were thinking about this topic, and maybe list a couple comics, and then we'll jump into things. So I guess. Paul, to start with you, when you looked at this topic, what what first came to mind for you? How did you make your your rubric for what to list in our, our show notes? <laughs> you know, I was going for the big action books, you know, books that you can kind of turn your brain off a little bit and just kind of go for the ride. You know, I, I immediately yeah. think about Jack Kirby comics, you know, classic Kirby comics, where it's just like, not that those books are, you know, dumb, but they're, they're uh, dumb in a way that it's just like, you don't need to think too hard. You can just go for the ride. There's great concepts, great ideas, and just big action. Like, if you can get a comic where it's uh, Superman a- and a big gray monster punching each other to death, like the death of Superman, it's not a good comic, <laughs> yeah. but it kind of hits all the buttons you want sometimes on a comic book. You know what I mean? Right. So that's what I, what right. I was thinking. I, I, death of Superman is one that came to mind. Omac by Jack Kirby. Anything by Tom Scholey. I can go into more detail about those books, but those are the books that came right to my brain when you pitched this topic. Yeah, no, that that's perfect. I, I guess, Kara, Kara, what was coming to your mind when you know we started to shop this idea around? Um, I think of this in terms of like when i'm reading a comic book and my brain just says comics everyone (laughs) (laughs) yes yes because you know something that's really i i really love comics when they're just like yes we're a comic book we understand we're not trying to be fancy we're not trying to Mm -hmm. reinvent the wheel we are a comic book and we know why you're here so sure like um i i think that's why uh to go fractionally off topic aquaman is my favorite dc universe movie because aquaman the movie is like a dumb fun comic like i watched aquaman and i was like comics everyone right (laughs) so it's like that kind of thing where it's like over the top and it like slightly doesn't make sense but in like a dumb like high sci-fi or like fantasy way or just like everything in it is ludicrous and makes or is just silly um Mm -hmm. so i had like a range of things so like some in the like this is a comic book 
genre things like axe cop like i remember the whole time i read axe cop i was just like comics <laughs> there's a um one time i came across a copy of uh the, like x-men and teen titans crossover from the 80s right, right when when both of those were kind of like this is the apex of comic books and they had a crossover issue where it's like for reasons these heroes in different management companies are going to be in the same book and beast boy and kitty pride are going to hit it off and you're like yes so right you know <laughs> so or in that genre like a lot of crossovers fall into this category like batman meets teenage mutant ninja turtles which actually is g- genuinely a good comic book <laughs> like, yeah it's, yeah but it's also <laughs> dumb like right. they're teenage mutant ninja turtles they're like a so hilarious that they're in a book together because the tmnt were designed as like a counterpoint satire to the dark knight returns and shit mm-hmm. like that right. and it's like yeah. no now they meet them in um the recent transformers my little pony crossover that idw did delightful mm-hmm. peak comic books love every second <laughs> um and then there's <laughs> there's stuff that has like just like an overall like everything about it i'm just like yes this is dumb but fun like i hate fairyland um mm-hmm. i would i would like i put a question mark on this one but like i would maybe put b and puppy cat in this category because everything you're just like this is dumb and delightful and i love it sure yeah like tag and bank for the star wars comics that dark horse used to do mm-hmm. in like their rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead genre of like what would it be like to comically go through the star wars universe through the eyes of these two morons like let's find out (laughs) well yeah so like it sounds to me it's funny because i think both of you kind of hit i i hit kind of the same thoughts when i was coming at this right like in my mind the first thing i thought of was siege uh by brian michael bendis and forever evil right (laughs) because i was thinking like what are the biggest most absurd comics that i can think of that i've read um you know and then i started asking around to different people because i was thinking humongous like i don't have to think about this yeah you know crossover events say what you will if you jump into them and you just go into them with this idea that i think we try to pitch on the show very often is like just roll with everything ultimately it will probably make sense right i was thinking of this some folks pointed out avx on the discord ultimates by mark millar uh and jonathan or and uh brian hitch excuse me uh spider-man the other the ult uh excuse me uh Marvel Zombies, Ultimatum, King in Black, Absolute Carnage, um, you know, these humongous event things where you're just like comic books can get no bigger than this in a lot of ways in the superhero sense, right? I think a lot of probably what we'll talk about today is superhero stuff because that's kind of where my mind was going. But there is other there are other properties. And I think, Carrie, you made some great points there about like things that are kind of dumb, but fun and are peak comics. But in my mind, I was trying to think what is the most absurd, humongous thing that, that could be published on page? And, you know, you, these types of events and these humongous books end up getting a lot of publication just because, you know, CBR or Bleeding Cool or someone will pick up an article that's like, you wouldn't believe it, but all of these characters are now going to fight against each other um this person's now a bad guy can you believe it you know these types of things that get a lot of people talking from a a purely like turn off your brain really immature view of comics which is totally fine like there's nothing wrong with these things you know i think the word dumb has a negative connotation but also I think the the thing that made this topic interesting to me was that these comic books exist because they are super fun to read. That's the other part of it. They are dumb but fun and they're worth your money. They're worth spending time on. So I want to kind of go through this. <laughs> oh, Mike. And 
Like and discuss what that feeling is. No, because everything that you just described about like hyping people up and saying you won't believe what happens next, everything up until the point where you were like, and also they're fun and they're worth your money. My brain was going blackest night, blackest night, the entire <laughs> yeah. Rainbow yeah, yeah. Lantern core, like everything. <laughs> right, but I had a friend who bought every book, every book, Mike, in the Blackest right. Night tie-ins. There were so they were just like it was basically like oh. You know what works for Marvel? Zombies. How can DC do yeah. zombies? There's <laughs> right. going to be a black lantern ring and it makes zombies of all the people who are dead that we won't shut up about because we can't just like let it go. So let's bring back everybody as a zombie. And then there's all these other like it's not just the Green Lantern Corps. It's all these. There's just the emotional mm-hmm. spectrum of mm-hmm. color. And I was like, all right, which age of Aquarius woo woo tarot reading crystal charging person said you know what we'll really really sell comic books auras we're just gonna jeff go johns. deep into jeff auras johns. <laughs> jeff johns. listen i already mentioned another jeff johns comic you know like no, there's nothing that says these books are actually good i guess i should add a little asterisk on here right because not all of these big dumb comics are actually good Right. I think a thing like brightest, brightest day, pretty dumb and probably not worth your money. So on the whole. Right. But I also think that forever evil, probably one of the coolest crossover events and most fun I've had reading comics that were like out of my purview in a long time. Right. Like I love Judgment Day. I don't even know if I can recommend it. It's such a good comic, but also Marvel fumbled the bag in terms of making sure that you got everything you needed to know about it because they should have just made it a 25 issue event instead of like a two six issue events plus like 40 tie-ins and they're all written by karen (laughs) gillen and it's a whole mess but yeah what i'm saying i guess what i'm getting at here is that there is a very 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 fine line to the difference between big and dumb and fun and big and dumb and bad right yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah. i think we know what that is but it's really hard to define to to quote the the classic film Spinal Tap, there's a fine line between clever and stupid, and these books yeah. kind of walk that razor thin line, you know. Hey. Like, was Siege a good comic overall? No. Was the reason Siege made probably one of the most fun things that happened in Marvel Comics in like 25 years? Absolutely. What was it? Norman Osborn becoming the big leader of the free world from the superhero perspective is the coolest thing ever. And I don't <laughs> care what anyone says. It's such a fun concept to say the bad guys are in charge. And yeah. Norman Osborn, of all people, is the person running it. Like, there, I posted a screenshot in our notes that has Namor, Emma Frost, Dr. Doom, Norman Osborn, and Loki, and then like a mysterious hood figure because there's this stupid character that Brian Michael Bendis created that I hated. Um, but anyways, <laughs> that that cabal is literally what they were called, is so fun, right? The League mm-hmm. of Supervillains, without calling them that, came together to say like, how can we squash the mutants and how can we kick the Asgardians out of Oklahoma because that was a thing for a moment in Marvel Comics. Yeah. Such a fun thing and the heroes are struggling like it was truly truly a fun time the siege event is stupid but the reason siege happened is so fun to me sure i yeah. thought emma frost yeah, I think that... was a good girl oh no. uh, this is before she was a complete good guy this is before that okay i have to assume that anything with dr doom involved would be dumb but fun if, if yes. you like <laughs> adhere to the spirit of doom which is the one that i see on the internet which is just totally pompous and overblown and mm. I think the version of him that was in the Squirrel Girl comic books is like my version of Doom. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> sure. You know, uh, 
I, I think, yeah, it, it's a very fine line we have to, to tease out because there's a lot of comics that I lovingly describe as being dumb, even though I think they're very, they're clever, but there's a self-awareness kind of to them that I think, you know, they know exactly, like you said, Kerry, they know exactly what they're giving you and it's exactly what you want. So if you can kind of only do in a comic book, I mean, obviously Jack Kirby is for me, like the pinnacle of this stuff. I think there's so much of his seventies DC stuff that walks this fine line. It's so ridiculous and over the top that it's easy to get caught up in. But when you step back and try to explain it, you sound like you're insane. You know, when I'm like, (laughs) there's a Jack Kirby comic where they have a miniature version of the planet earth that they're projecting horror movies onto and a bunch of monsters live on it. Like that is amazing. Right. When you're reading it, mm-hmm. but when you try to explain to somebody how smart it is, again, you sound like you're insane. So, for for me, like that's <laughs> right. the kind of stuff I like, and I think I, I think OMAC by Jack Kirby is probably the pinnacle for me because I think the first issue of OMAC that he did is probably the best single issue of comics I've ever read. And just all it is, is, is like a big dude wrecking other armies of, of other people, and then he blows up a factory where they're building exploding uh, like uh, blow up dolls. So it's right. It's it's so insane over the top, and that's what makes it great. That's so funny that you mentioned OMAC, because OMAC is, like, one of my first, like, forays into event comic books, was having to figure right. out all the crap that was happening around um, Infinite Crisis at DC. Yeah. And one mm-hmm. of the, and I was like, I am going to read. I was a very dedicated teenager. I was like, I am going to read every tie-in so I know what the fuck is going on. And sure. so one of those books was like about OMAC, but I didn't know anything about the OMAC backstory. <laughs> this is like slightly pre-Wikipedia. Like you still had to figure out like your fan sites and stuff to look up comic book character backstories. And I there was like one paragraph <laughs> about OMAC in my DC Comics encyclopedia. <laughs> my mom bought me for christmas yeah. that year because she was like you seem confused and i was like yes so um so like to me omac is part of that in terms of oh that piece of technology that batman created and it turned against him because who could ever have pre- predicted sentient ai surveillance technology being used for evil and of course mm-hmm. now it's right 2022 and we're in the world that we live in but like you know yeah <laughs> so not, not as like dumb but fun but i remember like reading all those tie-in books and being like what the hell is happening and why does it all matter because those stuff like leading up to infinite crisis was like there was like the omac book um there's like the yep. day of vengeance book that i loved with all the magic users in the dc universe there was mm-hmm. here's your dumb but fun comic the ran thanagar war <laughs> Which was just like a right, like a six issue miniseries where they're just like, all right, the Adam Strange people on the planet ran, which is like your space age, like future talk about like utopian future positive space, like 60s vision. That's that. And the Thanagarians, which are like Hawkman and Hawkwoman and Hawkgirl and like they've got wings and then they're just fighting each other in space for reasons. And you're like, okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. But this yeah. this sounds exactly like what we're talking about here today, right? Yeah. Like, there, there's no reason. It's just comic books for the sake of comic books, right? There's no yeah. major, like, theme or thought beneath it. It's just like, what if we did cool thing and other cool thing together, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you, but the thing you run into the problem where, um, and I don't want to, again, make Danny upset by talking badly about superhero comics, but you run into the problem where you have these, 
these big franchises, and I read every DC crossover, every time they put out a new one every year, I read them and I'm like, I enjoy them for what they are. But you reach a point where it's like, you can't do too much to change these characters. There's always a bit of cynicism when it comes to the big superhero corporate IP crossovers, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. the pinnacle for that is probably still for me, the death of Superman from 1993. Cause that's, sure. I was a prime comic book reading age. I was all in, I was, you know, I read those comics and I pulled out my, my trade paperback of the death of Superman that I've had since 1993 and I'm flipping through it and it's not a good comic. I liked it when I was 12. I don't so much like it now that I'm 40, but it is that perfect example of a big dumb idea. And they're really trying to convince you how smart it is or how important it is. I will say the cool thing about the one cool thing about the death of Superman is because it ran through seven different issues series, you know, uh, the, the four Superman books and tied them all together mm-hmm. as they're building up to the big climax in Superman number 75, where Superman and doomsday literally punch each other to death in the streets of, of Metropolis the issues get uh, bigger and bigger. So like there's one issue where every page has four panels of different sizes, but every page is four panels. The next issue, there's only three panels per page. And then you get oh. the penultimate issue. Each page has two panels and then oh Superman God. 75, all splash pages. And it's such a oh. new, like concept, but it's so it works so well when you notice it. So. Danny, Danny in the chat just pointed out, like, this is hilarious as this week DC celebrated the death of Superman by reprinting <laughs> it and releasing an anthology companion, which uh, is totally true. <laughs> We're we'll also celebrating an anniversary because this is episode 350 of I Read Comic Books. Thanks, Perfect. DC, for celebrating with us. Uh, what? I, so when I think of death of Superman in, in terms of dumb but fun comics, I think of all the stuff that happened kind of after that because superman didn't get wasn't it like superman didn't get resurrected right away so there were these other like lesser supermen flying around for a while there was like robots right the red one and the blue one (laughs) and the boy one that was later that was later that was different i thought that was all part of the same line Superman Red and Blue came later. That's when Superman had the electric, the elect, electric powers, the like electro Superman. Uh, the death, <laughs> what? death of Superman. Uh, he came back as four people. You had, um, oh my god, uh, the Exterminator. You had uh, Superboy, who was the the clone of Superman and Lex Luthor. Uh, then yep. you had um, uh, Cyborg Superman, and then uh, God, who was the fourth? Now why I'm blanking on the fourth. Uh, like when I think Shoot. of Superman in the '90s, I think mullet, I think yes. color coding, mm-hmm. I think Connor Kent in his leather jacket and thigh strap, whatever that was. <laughs> I think yeah. steel. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's and, that's the fourth. Yeah, steel was the fourth. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, just like all this stuff where I'm just like, what was happening over there? <laughs> just like. <laughs> Well, so, but this is, is this is what we're talking about. It's 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 fun and dumb, right? W- were they trying to go for something main, or were they were just trying to say we could sell four times as many Superman comics if we make well, four cause, Superman? Because around yeah, the exactly. same time they were doing, or I, you know, I don't, I'm just lumping the '90s into one decade in a blender. But that same decade, sure. DC was doing Nightfall, which was also dumb, <laughs> from yeah. what I understand, because <laughs> they were just like, all right, Batman, but french and blue and (laughs) did i get that right yes because bruce wayne has a back broken by bane so he his replacement uh, was jean paul valley 
but Asriel okay. took on the uh, mantle of Batman. So yeah. Man, something was I mean, we, happening we did over this in Better Batmobile. Okay, everybody, we did this already. All right, <laughs> yeah, go listen to that on Patreon. Okay, um, fun, Mike, you want to dump on fun? <laughs> this is true. This is true. Um, I just want a reason to talk about like Marvel Zombies. Did anyone read Marvel Zombies at the time when it came um, out? I saw the covers in the comic book shop, but I was like, I'm not a Marvel girl. I'm DC. So mm. I did not read well, them. But tell me about it's them. Okay. It's okay because they're bad, but they are basically Marvel trying to find an excuse to write zombies into their universe and tell a different story uh, using basically like Robert Kirkman to say, hey, remember, you know, that not series you're doing this really. What if you did that for our characters? And Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. you know, zombies come and go. I genuinely can't remember. I remember being obsessed with the idea of collecting all of the Marvel zombie stuff because when I saw the hardcover Marvel zombies, I was like, I got to have that because it had these incredibly gory and disgusting covers that i was so surprised marvel could publish um and i thought they were so cool as like this you know 19 year old kid i was like oh man let's do this um and they're ultimately kind of just bad it's 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 not great but it's just like kind of force fed like oh no this person became a zombie oh no this person became a zombie uh what would happen if spider-man was a zombie would he still do the right thing it's it's dumb. It's very dumb on the premise. But like if you if you like zombie comics, it totally works because they're not bad stories. They're just walking dead, but superheroes in some ways. And I'm sure that there are probably other comics out there that do superheroes, but zombies better. I heard that deceased is pretty good. Tom Taylor <laughs> has is a pretty good writer. So like, is that big and dumb? I don't know, because I heard that that's actually just good. It's not even big and dumb. It's actually just good comics. So um then that's the other like line that you need to cross is like, is this actually a good comic that has a big dumb concept, but it turns out it's actually good comics or is it just big and dumb and you don't have to think about it too much? Like, I don't know. I'm sure that there are listeners out there. In fact, I know there are listeners out there that would say <laughs> all of Tom Taylor's comics are big and dumb and you don't have to think about them because <laughs> you know what? I could understand that point of view, um, but I, I don't know. I wouldn't put that on the list because in my mind, there's no bombastic, insane, ridiculous, over the top. This doesn't make sense, but it's really fun mm-hmm. um, stuff to his comics. I think he he tries to logic and explain things away in a way that's that is interesting um, while you're reading them. But no, that no, might no, just but- be me. But you don't want that when you're reading a dumb fun comic. You want <laughs> exactly. you want Barry Allen the Flash is running so fast that he's become <laughs> one with the speed force and is right. disintegrating panel by panel exactly. before your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Mike, it's kind of an interesting point there that you brought up uh, with where it's that fine line, because um I was thinking about comics that are ridiculously fun and over the top. And I kept thinking about Murder Falcon and Do a Powerbomb, the Daniel Warren Johnson yeah. books. Yeah. They're, they're so much fun, but there's a real uh, like emotional core to those stories. It's hard for me to call them dumb fun because there's a heartbreaking tragedy at the core of it, even though you know, Do a Powerbomb yeah. is about pro wrestling, which is the dumbest fun thing imaginable. But there's like a really like potent, heartbreaking story that, you know, is part of that comic. So I have a hard time calling it dumb, even though it might be one of my my favorite, most fun comics to read right now. Right. No, no, that's why I don't put um, the Gem and the Holograms comics into this category, because although aesthetically, everything about that is just candy. When you actually read it, you're like character development. I'm feeling yeah, things yeah. and like that's not what we're talking about here we're talking about yeah Marvel zombies <laughs> yeah it, you know and it's it's funny there was there were books that I was also thinking about right like Chainsaw Man Jeff on the discord mentioned Chainsaw Man and I was like kind of 
I feel like there is commentary in that book that you can kind of see that exists about violence and fear that that the creator is trying to get to. But also, this is the same creator that brought us Fire Punch, um, probably one of the dumbest, worst mangas I've read in a long time. <laughs> so, um, you know, not to say that people can't evolve and change and get better as creators. They absolutely can. Chainsaw Man is full of extremely dumb things. They're, this comic is about a guy who just wants to hold a girl's hand and then eventually wants to touch a girl's boob. And then he starts eating puked up food out of someone's mouth. Like, it's an insane what? comic. It's stupid. Yeah. Ew. We don't have to get into it. It is. It's a dumb comic. It's very fun. But I think that the end kind of eliminates it from this list because I feel like there's commentary. Maybe that's just me with wishful thinking. No, Um, that's how I feel about One Punch Man. One Punch Man is perhaps one one of the purest distillations of like, this is a comic book, but in a way that's like so good. Like I read this book like one time 10 years ago and I'm still thinking about it because like, Mm -hmm. so it's not this even though it feels like this and that's that like fine line you were trying to describe earlier yeah yeah one punch man making fun of the entire like shonen like storytelling power scoping or power creep thing is is very very fun even even to this day 24 volumes later later 180 some chapters later it's still making fun of the stupid power creep that you see in in like a lot of old and even some current like shonen manga that comes out from weekly shonen jump and everybody's eating out of it this it's it's great if if i may uh because I, I know we're running long today if i may like pick one perfect example of this of this uh this type of comic to pitch uh as my Please. shining example i was originally going to say transformers versus gi joe by tom Scholey, um because we talked about that on the show a lot when it came out for me that is basically yeah. like seeing a kid with the toys in the sandbox smashing them together on the page but Mm-hmm. I'm going to say another Tom Scholey book, American Barbarian, might be my favorite example of a dumb, fun comic because it's no, there's no toy tie ins. It's purely uh, Scholey doing basically pure Kirby stream of consciousness comics on the page. It's the, whatever story is there is very loose. It's about a guy whose seven brothers and father are killed and he swears revenge. He also happens to have red, white, and blue striped hair, and he's a barbarian. That's why he's the American barbarian. (laughs) Um, uh, There's a point in the story where he has to fight the evil uh, Tutankhamen instead of Tutankhamen. It's Tutankhamen. It's a giant uh, pharaoh guy whose feet are giant tanks, hence the name. (laughs) It is just pure ridiculousness (laughs) on the page. It's stream of consciousness. It's one of my very favorite comics of all time. American Barbarian is my perfect pick for a dumb, fun, over-the-top comic book. I like that. I like that. Maybe we could wrap up here, Kara. Let's. Why don't you pick one more book that you think really you could deliver this to someone and say, this is my perfect definition here. Oh, God. Mm. Okay. Well, I was going to talk about Garfield, but now I feel like maybe I should talk about Archie versus Sharknado instead. Absolutely. Yes, please. <laughs> okay. So, um, again, Archie Comics, something that they can do and do do very often at this point is do these like totally insane crossovers and like the bulk of their books have never been like in continuity so they can do that and around the time of the third Sharknado movie they printed Archie versus Sharknado and it is everything that you're picturing and more Mm -hmm. like talk about a one and done dumb comic like you're in you're at the beach in Riverdale everything's fine 
dating shenanigans ice cream burgers and then all of a sudden a sharknado hits down like i don't know what else you want <laughs> like uh, but that's but like that is perfect comic books right there right you just like ha- read this book and have fun right yeah. Oh my god, I bought a stack That's of a- them. I, I got invited to a Sharknado 3 viewing party in Manhattan when that was mm-hmm. coming out. And on my way in, I stopped at Midtown Comics and bought a stack of Archie versus Sharknado to give out as party favors. Amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I guess my one pick, you know, I, I was going to think, I was trying to think like AVX is probably the best one. Avengers versus X-Men. The most ridiculous reason to have the Avengers and the X-Men fight each other. Um, it doesn't even have good tie-ins. doesn't have any really good story arc. The, the It's it's pretty bad, honestly, as a comic. Um, so I, I don't think that it's a lot of fun. Like the idea is fun. On paper, the Avengers have to fight the X-Men. Like that's so fun. Um, except for it's it doesn't execute very well. So I think the book that I'm going to pick is God Hates Astronauts by Ryan Brown, because I think like Ryan Brown, if you've ever read any of his comics, he just likes to have a good time. He likes to tell really funny stories. And God Hates Astronauts is kind of it feels like a stream of consciousness, very similar to what Paul was describing with American Barbarian. Like, why not have a guy who has a crab for a head or why not make this ghost superhero with a horse head superpower guy now suddenly the main character that has to fight you know bear people that live in a in a in an aqua space station or something like it's it's over the top it's insane and you will laugh every page it's very dumb you don't have to think about it and it's so much fun fun from start to finish yeah if, if you want just like a good time in comics i think god hates astronauts is the perfect example here um very similar to everything we've described you could hand this to someone and they would just laugh there's you don't need to know anything other than what's given to you on the page and it's so great for that reason yeah so you know we did it everybody we talked about big dumb fun <laughs> bombastic comics i'm so glad uh-huh. that we had this conversation i'm glad that i had a reason to remember all of the plot points of siege because quite honestly <laughs> The end of Civil War is my favorite thing that happened in Marvel Comics, I think, ever. Um, and I, I love that. So thank you so much for allowing us to have this conversation. Um, I, next week, Brian, Nick, and I are going to be talking about our Goodreads Challenge for 2022, the books that we picked and why we picked them. Um, so if you're not part of our reading challenge, make sure you go do that. You have like a month before we wrap that up so you can read all the books that are on that list. I want to say thank you to Paul and Kara for being on this episode with me. This is a lot of fun, guys. Um, you can always check us out on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Discord, Goodreads. We got all that stuff in the show notes. Make sure you check us out there. Patreon um, is where you can get access to IRCB Movie Club, the new Saga of Saga episode. So much more. The, the new IRCB Movie Club is coming out at the end of this month. We're talking about Blade. It's It was a lot of fun for me and Paul and Brian. Mm-hmm. Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. Xander can be your angle or your demon. You decide. Next time... <laughs> I want to say thank you. I, I lost myself on that. I'm sorry. I want to say thank you to Danny for proof listening. Thank you to everyone listening live and sticking with us through all the technical difficulties and the ups and downs. And if you've listened this far on the episode, you are a fantastic human being. So thank you so much. Until next time, though, comics are good and so are you. Comics.